the Young and Healthy Podcast. You're listening to the Cincinnati Children's Young and Healthy Podcast. Hello and welcome again to the Cincinnati Children's Young and Healthy Podcast. My name is Kate Sutter and I am your host for today. Today we're going to be talking about the nationwide formula shortage that families have been feeling for the last several months, as well as so many of us in healthcare helping families as they've really struggled to find the formulas of all sorts of different kinds that they need for their kids. And I'm joined today for this conversation by three people who have been sounding boards as we've been figuring out how do we communicate about this as um, as a medical center. And they are Dr. Mary Carol Burkhart, who is a primary care pediatrician and a three-time guest now. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. So glad you're here. Thank you, Dr. Burkhart. We also have Gina Jackson in the room, who is a registered dietitian, and Gina leads our nutrition therapy program and has really been on the front lines of helping sort out what's going on with the formula shortage. Thanks for being here, Gina. Thank you. Glad to be here. And our final guest today is Dr. Sheila Garrity, who is also a general pediatrician, and she's a international board certified lactation consultant. And she's joining us today to um, help us talk a bit about breastfeeding and how that fits in this situation that we have going with the formula shortage. Thank you for being here, Dr. Garrity. Happy to be here. So I think we're just going to jump right in here. And um, Gina, I might go to you first, because I know that you've been following this for months now. Um, And what do we understand about where this whole formula shortage started and how long has it been that it's been hard to find these products? Sure. So it's really a complex issue with not one um, thing that's really, uh, there's been several factors that have contributed. And so it really started with the supply chain several years ago was started being disrupted and we started seeing problems ordering certain formulas very much just here and there, and we were able to adjust. And then in February, Abbott, who manufactures the Similac line that a lot of families are probably familiar with, had a voluntary recall of their product and shut down their large plant that manufactures several of their powder formulas. And this um, started impacting us in February. And then as time has went on, the other companies have not been able to meet the demand um, because Abbott made several, they had a large share of the formula market. And so we've really seen it increase over time. And then lastly, we've recently seen a lot of hoarding of product um, as families are worried. And when they see product come on the shelf, they've bought a large volume of it that just causes the problem to even be, um, worse for other families looking for formula. So you mentioned that Abbott um, manufactures the Similac brand of formula. What other, is Similac its only product line or are there other products that have been um, just not at all available because of the Abbott closure? 
So the main products that were impacted for the recall were that hypoallergenic formula. So those really specialized products um, for our patients that and families that um, have metabolic disorders or allergies, um, several different diagnoses or problems that they have that these um, formulas are specialized for them. And then they also made a lot of just the Similac powder formula. So it really impacted all of the infant formulas in the Abbott line. Makes sense. And Dr. Burkhart, as you've been seeing families over the last few months who are um, families of typically healthy kiddos, the ones that aren't trying to find these highly specialized formulas, what has that looked like? What are we hearing from families? What What is this... Um, experience mean to them? I think it's a little bit of a mixed bag. And as Gina mentioned, it seems like over the past few months has has really progressed, um, you know, where it was impacting just few families to start with. It's really escalated. And now um, a large, large amount of families are feeling the impact. I think a lot of families, um, more than anything, are scared. They're worried they're not going to be able to have formula to feed their babies. And that's a really um, disempowering sort of feeling as a parent to just feel like that control is out of your hands. So I think a lot are fearful and scared and then really just frustrated because as Gina mentioned, it's a complicated situation. And so they're angry, like they go to the store and they want to buy formula for their baby and it's not there. And so that frustration um, sets in. And then I think more than anything too, there's a lot of confusion with it, right? So you think your baby drinks one type of milk and then you hear different messages in the, the news and we're saying, substitute it with something else. This brand's okay. And they're thinking, well, why was I on that other brand to start with? And so just leads families to, I think, ask a lot of questions. Um, and unfortunately, after the COVID pandemic and whatnot, people are tired. And this was not really, I think, what people had on their radar for, for this year. Feels a little bit like insult to injury after exactly. the couple of years that we've had, for sure. So what about any relief in sight for families? Is Are, are things starting to look up in any way? I was going to say, I, I think the good news is we are not out of baby formula in this country. There is still stock and supply out there, but the challenge is it's not always available when a family wants it, where they want it. And so it's requiring a lot more perseverance um, to look multiple places, to look every single time that you're at the store. Um, and the convenience factor of, I normally just walk into the store and buy formula has gone. So I think the good news is there still is formula out there and we need to get that message. You know, it is not, um, it's not always bare bones, but but when the formula comes in, it's just not lasting as long um, as it used to. And then I think, um, you know, as the supply, I know all the formula companies, not just Abbott, are working to, to ramp up supply as fast and as, as best they can as that supply um, comes back in. I think we will slowly see a lessening of this, you know, crisis here over the next several weeks. Gina, do we know what's happening right now with that Abbott closure? Yes, we did get some good news that they were able to start uh, production this week. And so we anticipate hopefully by the end of the month, we'll start seeing some shipments go out. And um, it's important kind of to highlight it's not going to be all formula. So we'll still it's still going to take some time to get back to having full shelves, mm -hmm. but the um, Abbott plan is prioritizing those 
really specialized formulas. So that's really good news for our families that can't go out and buy whatever is on the shelves. And so we're hoping for those um, patients and families, they will be able to get the formula they were on previously um, within the next month or so. And then um, one other thing that should be helping families, if it's not by now, is um, WIC has kind of relaxed some of their guidelines. And the USDA just announced this week about a waiver, a nationwide waiver that will allow families to have more options and also have different sized options um, when historically they've been um, unable to purchase different brands and different sizes. So we're hopeful that that'll help families and may even stick around for long term. That would be amazing. I think families would be super appreciative of that. I was going to say that's that's an excellent move from, from WIC to be able to give families more options. So we've also heard about some actions that the federal government has taken to safely import some formula to the U.S. Um, have we seen if that's provided any relief to this point? So I can't really speak for families um, individually. I can say um, from the hospital standpoint and hopefully some of the um, pharmacies, we have been able to have more of our orders filled for certain products that came overseas. Um, and then a lot of the formula companies uh, for several months have been using some of their plants overseas to produce more product that we're finally starting to see um, come here and hit the shelves. So um, I know personally, I check the shelves every time I go to the grocery store and I have noticed in the last several days, there's a few more options. Um, so that's exciting to see and hopefully we'll continue to see that improve. So Gina, this is another one for you. So some of the formulas that are hardest to find right now, um, how, what is the role of dietitians and how has your team been involved in helping find the products kids need? So um, we have several dietitians that work in the outpatient and inpatient setting here at the hospital. Um, and we work with families, especially those on a specialized diet, um, when they call us and they can't find the product. The first thing we do is um, assess the need. And so the good thing that's came out of this is some families we've been able to transition to uh, a product that maybe is not so specialized and they've tolerated it well. So we really meet the patient where they are and see what they need. And then if they're on a standard product. We provide um, resources so they can go to the store and look for alternatives. And um, the other thing we try to do if they're on a specialized formula is send a new prescription. A lot of times they'll need it for WIC or for their home health company or pharmacy and then give them a plan on how to transition. So our hope is that it's a smooth transition and the um, child tolerates it well. If there's a family out there who just is really feeling like they're kind of in this space without support, whether they're in Cincinnati or not, do you have a recommendation for how those families could you know, find somebody who can help them navigate this? Is that a call to their pediatrician with a specific ask of, hey, we're really struggling here? Yeah, I definitely think that's appropriate. Whenever you're not sure what to do, um, definitely call your pediatrician. They may have ideas. They may have resources in your area. And most importantly, they know how to access people like Gina, because if I don't know what to do, I at least know how to get to my dietitian experts and um, she would be the person I would call. So it's, you know, it's a team effort, but your pediatrician is a great place to start to navigate that system. 
And Mary Carol, while you have the the mic, what are some strategies that we've been recommending to families to help them find formula in the retail space? Yeah, great question. Um, It definitely takes a lot of perseverance, but we have first and foremost been telling families that if your child is on a regular standard formula and cow milk formula is the most kind of standard or typical formula, it is totally fine to substitute any brand of that that you can find. So we talked earlier about Similac. If your baby typically drinks that, it doesn't mean they have to drink that. They can drink the store brand, the generic brand, um, another company's brand. And we honestly have been encouraging generics and store brands for years because that's usually a more cost-effective alternative um, for families. And and it's important to get that message out. Those are safe. They're healthy. They have just as much nutrition um, as as a uh, brand name formula. So substitutions is fine. If your typical formula isn't there, buy what you can find. Um, Second is use your resources, use your families, use your neighbors, use your friends. Um, As Gina and I were saying, we're we're both kind of nerds that check the, the formula aisle every time we go to the grocery just to stay up on this. But ask everybody, you know, you know, this is what my baby drinks. Send them with a couple pictures of, you know, alternative formulas that that you would be willing to try and ask them to check, you know, when when you're um, in the store. So those are some of the more practical things families can do um, and check a variety of types of stores. So if you typically only buy your formula at the grocery store, maybe, um, you know, kind of larger super center stores or the smaller um, kind of local pharmacies um, have formula on their shelves where the grocery stores or your typical store may be out. So you've got to get a little bit creative. All that to say, I know that requires a lot of time, energy, and mental stress for families. So I recognize those are not easy things to actually do. Um, but that's that's unfortunately the state we're at right now. So I love this idea of kind of engaging your community and your network and asking people. And I feel like a lot of people have taken that online and to social media to groups where people are sharing all sorts of um, ideas. And um, what if we, what are we seeing out there? I'm certain some of it's good. Are there things that people are also doing that maybe we would caution them against? That's a great point. Um, Social media can be used for so many good things, but you've got to be, you know, cautious with it as always. Um, And I think the good thing is people are able to, um, you know, let's say they have a baby who's aged out of formula and they have extra formula at home. Um, That would be fine to share as long as it's in an original container that's unopened. um, So you're, you know, confident and it's unexpired. Um, That's important with baby formula as well. So sharing um, in that regard, I think is fine. I think some things to be cautious of just in general with this situation right now that we really want to caution families against. Whenever something is in limited supply, I know in my own home, right, the the natural thing is to try and stretch it. Well, we've got to be really cautious with baby formula, and that is not something to stretch. Um, So really want to encourage families not to water down formula. Always make it according to the instructions on the can, unless you are instructed differently by your physician for some reason. Um, So that is really dangerous to babies. If we put too much water or dilute formula, um, it can cause electrolyte abnormalities for infants, which in severe cases can cause seizures and and other problems. Additionally, the babies just won't grow well. And growth during the first year of life is probably the most important year of brain growth and development in your entire life. So the nutrition for our babies is just so, so important. Um, So definitely not watering it down. Um, Second, I think sometimes families 
are tempted into um, buying plant-based milk, which sounds really healthy. We talk about vegetables and things like that, but plant-based milk are is not recommended for young children and definitely not for babies. So that's thinking like almond milk or rice milk, um, oat milk. Those are not appropriate for infants. So please, please, please don't um, be feeding those to your babies. Um, and then kind of other major don'ts, I would say... Um, Gina, anything else that I'm not thinking? Oh, I guess we could talk about cow milk. Uh, maybe that one sometimes comes up um, for kids less than 12 months of age. So normally we want babies to be on formula until they're a year of age. I think in this crisis, people have been saying, maybe I could start cow milk a little bit early. Um, and I think that's how early we're talking. But in general, we don't like babies before a year on cow milk because it can cause iron deficiency anemia. And when you have anemia, again, that impacts your brain growth and it could cause other problems as well. But that's probably the big one. Um, and um, again, we want that brain to grow as big and strong and healthy as we can. Um, and so babies who are getting cow milk before a year of age, you know, could be at risk for that. So I would avoid that if at all possible um, and try those other things. Use that social network first. Anything else that you done? Uh, the only thing I would add is we have seen some recipes being shared of homemade formula mm -hmm. and we uh, want to advise against that. Um, that will not have the nutrients and the vitamins the baby will need to grow and it can be dangerous depending on the ingredients as well. Um, and then one thing we've seen on the shelves that has been available is certain toddler formulas and those are really not sole source formulas and they don't have the right mix of things that babies need. So I would also avoid um, buying those for infants under one. So when we're talking about feeding infants, breastfeeding is always part of the conversation. So here we are, Dr. Garrity, with your time to shine. <laughs> um, I always love to talk about breastfeeding. <laughs> we're so glad you're here to help us um, just kind of think about it. In the context of this formula shortage, and would you just start us off a bit on, you know, what has your practice been seeing over the last several months? Sure. So um, the first thing I, I've been talking about this a lot in, in the context of the formula shortage, but I, I like to step back and say, we talk about breastfeeding all the time, not just in the context of the formula shortage. So we always um, really want mothers to try to breastfeed and think about breastfeeding. Um, we know that some mothers are not able to breastfeed for, for a, a variety of reasons, um, but it, breastfeeding is really how we are supposed to feed our babies. And so we never want a mother to feel guilty or be told she should have breastfed or, you know, we we never want that ever. You know, mothers make the best choice that they can for their baby and how to feed their baby. And especially during this formula shortage, um, there's no place for anyone to ever say to a mother, well, you should have breastfed or why didn't you breastfeed? I mean, that that is some piece of the conversation that we never like to bring in. But at this point, you know, it, it's a very real realistic option, um, an appropriate option for maybe moms who necessarily haven't thought about breastfeeding. If moms are pregnant um, or if moms are thinking about becoming pregnant, you know, we hope the formula shortage is over as quickly as possible, but we just never know in these days and times. And so um, we really like to support breastfeeding here at Children's, Cincinnati Children's with the Center for Breastfeeding Medicine um, and all that places that we work with breastfeeding moms to um, think about breastfeeding because um, it might not be something that people have thought about. And we, we take any reason for people to think about breastfeeding. So we're really happy to um, have that conversation. 
And I think that what's hard about breastfeeding is that breastfeeding can be hard. (laughs) And in a situation like this where there are just so many families who are struggling, I have to imagine that it's adding additional stress. So talk to us about who can help a new mom um, or new families be connected to people who can help them with the struggles they might be having. Great, great. So I like to think about um, struggles as opportunities when it comes to breastfeeding to learn more about that. And, And if any mother who's listening is pregnant or thinking of becoming pregnant, the best thing about breastfeeding is the knowledge and, um, sort of talking to people in their, um, sort of social network and sphere that they wouldn't necessarily have done so otherwise. But I really want to put right out now that, um, social media when it comes to breastfeeding is very challenging. Challenging, um, particularly mommy blogs and Facebook groups and and things where um, maybe are not evidence-based and some um, evidence or, or people will say, oh, I did this. Oh, I did that. And so a mom will think, oh, well, that must be the way it is. But we have to be very cautious about, you know, sort of hearing things from um, social media. So I always say find, you know, trusted families and friends who have breastfed before. You know, you might not think of somebody or, you know, a a aunt or a cousin or, you know, a family friend who've breastfed, that's one of the best places. And, and honestly, that's how, you know, it takes a village kind of um, comment really fits in that they can be very helpful to you. Um, the OB offices or the pediatric, if a mom is pregnant or the pediatric office um, are very helpful when it comes to breastfeeding. The American Academy of Pediatrics, World Health Organization, and the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services actually has um, really great breastfeeding resources. So I, I um, tell moms all the time in whatever state of breastfeeding that you know they may be in, that there is places to find um, resources. And I think that um, people sometimes go right to the mommy blogs or you know the social media and Pinterest and all these kind of things. And I just get very nervous when I have a mom who gets her information um, in that regard. Mary Carol, what are we, have the conversations about breastfeeding changed at all in your practice in the last few months? Is there any? Um, I would say, as Sheila mentioned, we, you know, we are always promoting breastfeeding. Um, so I think breastfeeding's, you know, good at baseline. I would say the um, step up has probably been in being proactive, offering more and more support. Um, so as Sheila mentioned, you know, at least, I don't know if this is true, but I read 50% of moms, you know, experience some breastfeeding problem and do not ask. Um, and so I think that, you know, our job as pediatricians is to ask our moms and try and uncover that. But also for moms to hear it's okay and it's normal if you are struggling with breastfeeding. That's not That does not mean there's something wrong with you. Um, and I know even as a mom myself, I struggled with breastfeeding and it feels very, you know, deflating um, or you feel like, gosh, what am I doing wrong? And just to normalize it and say 50% of moms who breastfeed have issues with it. Um, So I think that can be really freeing for moms. So I think that's more the message that we are trying to get out and offer that support to that 50% who are, who really are struggling because um, sometimes little tweaks can make a really big difference um, in their success and in their um, longevity or ability to sustain breastfeeding. So, Mary Carol, I very much identify with your as a mom, you struggled and um, I I struggled with breastfeeding as well and actually ended up exclusively pumping with um, one of my kids. And it was actually 
the moment we decided to go that direction was very relieving to me. Um, so I'm curious if you could tell us a bit, Dr. Garrity, about like that decision to exclusively pump and in the context of this formula shortage, could that be a good option for some families? So um, pumping is what most women do. Most women in the Western world do not exclusively feed their baby at the breast. So when I um, am with a mother and a baby in our breastfeeding clinic um, and talking to them about options, mothers have a whole myriad of reasons for um, pumping, especially going back to work, um, or having difficulties with latch. And pumping is a very realistic um, an option, and we're very fortunate to have that. But this there is a huge range of issues that can arise from pumping where it might be easy for some moms. It's not always easy. And I think so, one of the biggest issues is moms sometimes pump way too much. And then there's pictures on social media and all these other things that, oh, oh, this mom down the street has a deep freezer and I want to have a deep freezer full of milk too. And why don't I? And so there's a lot of unrealistic um, expectations that can happen when it comes to um, exclusive pumping or pumping um, and any kind of portion of the, the lactation cycle. So I think it's very important to um, have a, a conversation with someone who understands not only at the breastfeeding, but pumping as well, because pumping is a is a very arduous task and um, it, it, you have to have knowledge about doing it in, in order not to um, cause harm to the mother herself. Um, some mothers um, do pump too much, too long, cause a lot of issues. So um, yeah, it, it's obviously, you know, an option that we, especially in the United States, choose for our own children. I have three children and pumped a lot, um, so I, I know it well. But I think that um, we knowledge is the most important piece of that. And as you're talking about the neighbor down the street who has a deep freeze full of milk, we've definitely seen a lot of conversation about um, milk sharing in this kind of state of the formula shortage. Will you share with us your thoughts on that, please? Oh, there's a lot of thoughts on milk sharing right now. And, and I really hope um, to sort of dispel um, some myths or th the conversations on social media are very emotionally laden when it comes to milk sharing. And, um, you know, and I say this in the context of, you know, mothers worldwide um, do actually uh, what's called wet nursing. And if there's a, a crisis situation or a baby who is um, needing to be fed, a mother will put that baby to the breast. I was um, in uh, Tanzania several years ago before COVID um, with Village Life Outreach Project here at Cincinnati um, University of Cincinnati. And um, there were many mothers, unfortunately, who died of HIV. And I met a whole village of women who were breastfeeding at the breast other women's children. And some of those women actually were breastfeeding you know, their own child and two other children. And it was just absolutely remarkable. So in the developing world, um, you know, wet nursing is something that is um, done and has to be done for that um, infant to survive. <clears throat> I would, um, as the director of the Center for Breastfeeding Medicine, or the co-director, would love to be able to give moms permission to share milk. That would be one of my um, dreams, and I wish I could say that on this podcast and say that everywhere else. However, we have no studies in the United States 
States, or actually in the world, really, about um, the risk and benefits of infants receiving milk, um, raw, unpasteurized milk from other mothers. And so I say this because I know women are doing so. I know they're sharing their milk. Um, but the American Academy of Pediatrics, the U.S. Food and Drug um, Administration, FDA, have statements directly against mothers' milk sharing. And so this is very challenging for me as someone who does know that the behavior of mothers is altruistic and wants to share milk, especially during this type of crisis. But we here at Cincinnati Children's um, cannot say that that is an okay practice. And so I really caution anybody about feeding their own infant another mother's milk um, just because we just don't know the safety of that practice. And because we know that there are families who do have extra milk, what is the American Academy of Pediatrics recommendation if you do have milk to share? I I have a feeling there are families who are like, I am sitting on this treasure trove of nutrition for other babies. How can I help? Okay. So if you're out there and you hear this and you have a deep freezer, (laughs) please, please, we would love you to help us. So us sort of in the the global sense here in the United States, um, please, um, you can just Google it, the Human Milk um, Banking Association of North America. So it's it's sort of called Hubana is, is sort of how we all talk about it. But there, um, and I, I don't think a lot of people know this, that there are milk banks throughout the country. And if you would just look at that, you would see the little dots all over the United States. Um, here at Cincinnati Children's, we work with the Columbus Milk Bank and one in Indianapolis. And so mothers can donate their milk. And it's very similar to blood banking. There's blood testing done. There is lifestyle questionnaires, medicines. There's all... I mean, medicine um, surveys, and there's all kinds of mothers who donate to a milk bank have been very much screened. Um, and then milk is they pick up the milk um, it, or it's shipped. They give you everything you need. Um, and a mother would have to do a blood testing um, for different infectious diseases, HIV, hepatitis, um, and different things like that. But um, please, please consider that if you have an extra amount of milk, because it is as um, Gina talks about the um, formula shortage for the specialty infants. Mothers who donate milk, um, that milk is pasteurized and fed to infants in the hospital. So that milk is needed for premature infants, infants with different type of um, medical conditions, and we are in dire need. Actually, every pediatric institution or institution where there is children hospitalized are in desperate need for um, milk that is pasteurized from a milk bank. So if you have extra milk, you could really help just, I mean, honestly save the life of a child if you can donate your milk. But please do not share raw, unpasteurized milk um, in the community itself. But we really would love your milk um, to be donated. That's a wonderful overview of that. Thank you so much. And Gina, I'm going to come to you for just a second. So will you tell us about like the milk bank on our side? Like how does, how does that work and how are the, the, is that donated milk put to, put to use in the hospital setting? I actually got to visit the Columbus milk bank last month and just got to see the process firsthand. So it's really um, interesting and very similar. We have a human milk and formula center here at Cincinnati Children's that prepares all the powdered formulas in a safe environment for our patients. Um, And we order donor milk directly from the milk bank that gets delivered. And then we can um, 
distribute that for our patients and um, throughout the hospital, throughout um, the organization. And what's great about it is not only do we use that for patients who need it um, for whatever um, reason they're here at the hospital, but also if mom can't get here in time or anything of that nature, they're not here to provide milk, we can offer that as a bridge. Um, So if mom chooses you know, she wants her child to receive breast milk or donor milk, we can use that until she's able to get here or provide milk for her baby. It sounds like, it sounds like a fantastic option for those amazing super producers, the, the moms who have so much milk. So thank you for sharing that with us. And I love being able to put it back together. This is, this is what happens. These are the babies who it helps. So I would love to start wrapping up our conversation today. This has been great. I feel like we've touched on so many things. Um, and she, Dr. Garrity is telling me she has one more thing. I just want to um, also talk about real quickly relactation or mothers who are reading on the internet a lot about um, making more milk when perhaps they've stopped breastfeeding or stopped pumping um, for some period, um, however long that may be. I think that um, it is it. There's a lot on social media that oh yes, I'm just going to start pumping and just start making extra milk. So I just really want to put that in the context of realistic expectations for mothers. You know, there's so much advertised about, you know, eat these cookies or I can take this pill or have these teas and all these different things that can have a mother make more milk. But breast milk making is an an amazingly complex problem. There's not, or not problem, process really. There's not just like turning on a faucet where the milk just comes out. You know, milk is very complex. There's proteins, fats, carbohydrates, hormones, immune factors, and all these things have to come together. Um, to make milk. And mother has to have the proper hormones herself from her pituitary gland that have to come to the breast itself to actually make milk. So there's actually been some accounts of mothers hurting themselves by just turning a pump on and just leaving it on and, you know, you know, kind of like, and hurting their their nipples and their breasts and and trying to think that they can just start making milk again. So if if somebody um, is really considering that, please consult, um, you know, a, a lactation professional who would be uh, sort of helpful with relactation. But there's so many um, non-evidence-based activities out there. And the um, the social media world, again, this is where I'm very cautious about what is said out there because relactation is, is um, very, very challenging and, and almost impossible in most situations. So please, please um, be cautious with yourself and don't um, harm yourself in any way because it is a very challenging process. I'm so glad you flagged me down to make sure we got that in. Thank you. We do not want mothers hurting themselves in order to try to lactate again. Um, Dr. Burkhart, do you have any final thoughts on this topic or any final words of wisdom to families who might be finding themselves still on the hunt for formula? Yeah, I think actually a lot of the things that we've talked about, you know, with this have come full circle talking about breastfeeding. Check in with your moms and friends that have babies that are under a year of age right now. It is an incredibly stressful time. Um, Just check in and see how you can help them. Maybe it's checking at the store when you're there. Maybe it's, you know, offering them a meal so that they, you know, if they're out pumping um, extra, you know, trying to maintain breastfeeding. So 
just check in with moms. It's a hard um, job. And dads, too. I don't mean to leave them out of this. Check in with young, you know, parents of young children. I think that's our best way. We need to, it really does take a village um, to raise these healthy children. And so do your part and and help um, young families. Gina, any final thoughts? Yeah, I think um, I just want to assure parents if you are having to buy a different store brand equivalent formula that, you know, baby formula is highly regulated here in the U.S. by the FDA. And so I just want to say, you know, it's going to have the same complete nutrition and safety that um, the name brand did before. And so do not feel guilty. Do not worry. Um, Your baby's going to get what they need. Excellent words of wisdom. And Dr. Garrity, any final thoughts? Any final thoughts? Sure. Um, You know, we always want to support mothers who want to breastfeed, um, not just because there's a formula shortage, but because that's what we want to do to help young infants grow and thrive. Um, Any mother who has made the choice not to breastfeed or has had difficulty breastfeeding, no one should ever make her feel guilty and she should not feel guilty herself. We're we're all in this together and we're here to support moms um, and do the best that they can do to um, feed their babies in the best way possible. The best babies are fed babies. <laughs> Doesn't matter how. I love that. Yeah. I love that. A fed baby is is what we're all working toward here. Right. And and I love this kind of community aspect of, you know, that it really is it takes a village to raise healthy kiddos and I think we'll sign off with a final thought that Um, please do check in with people you know who have little ones because things have been rough for them the last few months. Um, And we'll hope that some end, um, that there might be an end in sight to this. And as we've done for the last couple of years, I feel like we just persist. We'll, we'll, we'll get there. And uh, I thank you, the three of you for joining us today. This has been a great conversation. And we also ask that you please pardon the pager noise in the background of this episode. Our doctors are here with us and also on call. So we are grateful for their time. And thank you again for listening to the Young and Healthy Podcast. We'll see you next time. This episode was recorded on June 8th, 2022. The content of the Young and Healthy podcast is for informational and educational purposes. Our theme music was created by Stephen Greco, and this episode was produced by Symphony Fair Harris.